a happy new year. Happy new decade. Here we are, 2020. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, this time of year, a lot of times you look forward, you make uh, goals and resolutions and different things of the year ahead. Um, for me, one of the things that I do this time of year is look back and uh, reflect. And, uh, and I just want to say, as I look back, not only over 2019, but really over a lot of years, one of the great, great blessings of my life is the incredible privilege of being able to be the pastor of Cornwall Church, and I don't take that for granted, and it is just, I thank God for that opportunity um, every single day. And I think back to this time of year, 27 years ago, in January of 1993, uh, those of us who were part of Cornwall Church back then, some of you were around in those days, we had just lost um, our beloved shepherd. Uh, Ken Long had been called from God to go to Florida. Interesting that that happened in January. Um, <laughs> Wasn't called to go to Minnesota, apparently. Um, <laughs> was called to go to Florida and go, take on a ministry there. And we were left kind of reeling a, a bit. Uh, they, we didn't have a senior pastor. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Everything was left in the hands of a 29-year-old, mullet-wearing, divorced, unordained youth pastor, which is a frightening proposition. And, uh, and we faced that year with a great deal of uncertainty facing the unknown. And uh, this is what is true about 1993, is that we found that God is incredibly faithful. And over the past 27 years, I can say without hesitation, no matter what we face, God is faithful. And as we stand on the front end of 2020, we as well are faced with a lot of unknowns and uncertainties in our life. We don't know for sure what's going to happen this year. There's going to be some incredible joys and victories and, and blessings that you had never even dreamed possible. And there's going to be some challenges and difficulties that if you knew what was going to happen today, what was going to happen later this year, you wouldn't even want to go forward in this year. But this I know, in the triumphs and in the trials, God is faithful. And I thought that as we start this new year, as we start this new decade, that it would be good for us to just continue to entrust our lives and our year, our church, into the hands of God. And I came across a, a prayer that, that Billy Graham wrote in 2008, 12 years ago. But as I read it, I thought, man, this is as relevant today as it was 12 years ago. This prayer was originally published in the Saturday Evening Post. Now, some of you were raised in traditions where you had maybe the book, Common Book of Prayers or Book of Common Prayers or Catholic Book of Prayers or the Reformed Book of Prayers. I was raised in a tradition uh, where there was a little bit of a, maybe even an arrogance of we don't read you know, uh, pre-written prayers. We pray from our heart, which is all beautiful. But, but there's something about some prayers that have been thought through and written down. And I wanted us to start this year, and I want to read this prayer that Billy Graham wrote, uh, 2008, uh, and I want us to read it for us. And this is what I'm going to invite you to do, if you'd like. I'm going to invite you to stand here, as well as in Skagit, if you would stand, or those of you in, in uh, Boca Raton, if you would stand at this point. If you're watching online, if you feel okay standing, if you're in a Starbucks, that might be weird, but it's good to have you with us. <laughs> And if you're comfortable with this, and there's nothing magical about this, but if in a symbolic way, you want to just extend your hands in a way to say, God, no matter what I face this year, I'm entrusting it to you, and I am going to release control into you and your hands, and I'm going to receive from you all the blessings and all the goodness and all the strength and all the wisdom that you have for me. And let me read this prayer, and you don't have to bow your head, you can if you want, you don't have to close your eyes. If that helps you concentrate, great. But let me just read this prayer for us today. Our Father and our God, 
As we stand at the beginning of this new year, we confess our need of your presence and your guidance as we face the future. We each have our hopes and expectations for the year that is ahead of us, but you alone know what it holds for us. And only you can give us the strength and the wisdom we will need to meet its challenges. So help us to humbly put our hands into your hand and to trust you and to seek your will for our lives during this coming year. In the midst of life's uncertainties in the days ahead, assure us of the certainty of your unchanging love. In the midst of life's inevitable disappointments and heartaches, help us to turn to you for the stability and comfort we will need. In the midst of life's temptations and the pull of our stubborn self-will, help us not to lose our way, but to have the courage to do what is right in your sight, regardless of the cost. And in the midst of our daily preoccupations and pursuits, open our eyes to the sorrows and injustices of our hurting world and help us to respond with compassion and sacrifice to those who are friendless and in need. May our constant prayer be that of the ancient psalmist. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. We pray for our nation and its leaders during these difficult times and for all those who are seeking to bring peace and justice to our dangerous and troubled world. We pray especially for your protection on all those who serve in our armed forces and we thank you for their commitment to defend our freedoms even at the cost of their own lives. Be with their families also and assure them of your love and concern for them. Bring our divided nation together and give us a greater vision of what you would have us to be. Your word reminds us that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. As we look back over this year, we thank you for your goodness to us, far beyond what we have deserved. May we never presume on your past goodness or forget all your mercies to us, but may they instead lead us to repentance and to a new commitment to make you the foundation in the center of our lives this year. And so, our Father, we thank you for the promise and the hope of this new year. And we look forward to it with expectancy and faith. And this I ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, who by his death and resurrection has given us hope both for this world and the world to come. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I read that and thought, what a beautiful prayer and how, how apt and how fitting for us, even in 2020. You know, as we start a new year and a new decade, it's kind of a new chapter. And when Jesus started his earthly ministry uh, almost 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just the start of a new year. It wasn't just the start of a new chapter. When Jesus started his ministry, it was the dawning of a new day, of a new reality that would change the world forever. And when he starts this, it isn't with just a few New Year's resolutions or a couple of different goals. He starts off with this statement out of Mark chapter 1. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. This is it. And it, it is this kingdom. And this would be his preoccupation for the next three years. He would talk about the kingdom of God nonstop. That's what he came to usher in. 
And so he says, because it is now, then repent, change the way you think, change the way you live, change the way you act, because this is good news. And this is how he started his ministry. It was the dawning of a new day for all of eternity that reality would never be the same because the kingdom of God is now. And it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. What about these words for Cornwall Church in 2020? What if, and how great would this be, if I said, hey, this morning we have a special guest. Hey, would you welcome Jesus? I mean, that, wouldn't that be the best? And if Jesus were to come out here and say, oh, Cornwall Church, it's good to be with you. Uh, I've got a word for you for 2020. And then he says, Cornwall Church, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That this year, 2020, this is happening in your midst. And isn't that the truth? Isn't this just, not just for 2,000 years ago, but isn't this for us today? God's word is the same yesterday and today and forever, and this is his message for us today as we enter into this new year. Hold that thought, we'll come back to it. About a year and a half ago, a little bit less, at the 2018 uh, Global Leadership Summit, which we host in this room, I, uh, I was there, I, I heard one of the speakers that particularly impacted me. I, I liked his presentation, the way he delivered it. His content was very, um, very interesting to me. Very, it, it sparked some curiosity. I, I really liked it. He's not a, a, a faith-based leader. He, he's a, it's kind of a, a business uh, leadership thinking leader. His name is Simon Sinek. You may have heard of him. He's best known or was first known for his TED Talk called Start With Why. It's the third most watched TED Talk of all times. He has a, a follow-up book, a New York Times bestseller by the same title. But that day in 2018... His talk, the title of his talk was The Infinite Game. And as he, as he gave this, I, I was just taking copious notes and thinking, oh, okay. And he was talking, it was kind of a preview of a book that was going to be released just a couple of months later. And in fact, in the notes it says, um, book out October 2018. So after that, I, I went to my assistant, Suzanne. I said, Suzanne, would you pre-order that book? I really am intrigued to read the, the fuller you know, development of this thought of the infinite game. So she did. She pre-ordered and paid for this book. And October came and went with no book. And so I asked her, I said, Suzanne, what's the story on the, that book, that, that Simon Sinek book? She said, let me look into it. She got on the website and said, well, the, the, the release date has been moved to January 1st. I said, okay. So January 1st came and went, and I said, did we ever get that Simon Sinek book? She said, no, let me look into it. She got and said that the release date is now into June of 2019. And quite frankly, at that point, we forgot about the book. I didn't keep asking. She didn't keep checking. And then last, this last year, 2019, in October, a year after it was supposed to be released, gives new meaning to the title, The Infinite Game, <laughs> waiting for this book to arrive. A year after it was supposed to be released, she came into my office, she said, I have a surprise for you. And I said, what is it? She said, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about that book. So I got that in October, and then my wife and I went on vacation in November, and I took it with me uh, to read. And as I was reading this book, um, it, was, it was very fascinating. I was, I was drawn in by it. It's, like I said, it's not a, not a book written for churches. It's, it's really written for business leaders, and uh, it's a great book. Um, but the whole concept of game, he uses that word really quite loosely. Uh, the word game in the, in the title, The Infinite Game, could actually uh, be changed with The Infinite Pursuit, the, the Infinite Focus, The Infinite Goal. In fact, he interchanges it with The Infinite Mindset as he talks about these things. And it's in this book, 
it, as he's writing, he, he's talking about that this infinite mindset is one that is not about success as much as it is about significance. It's not about gaining a victory as it is about fulfilling uh, the purpose of your life. It's not so much about playing to win, it's something bigger than a win and something that goes beyond a win. And as I was reading this book, I just kept thinking over and over again, now I don't know if, if a cynic is a, is a Christian, there's nothing that implies that, there's nothing that implies he isn't. Um, but as I'm reading this book, I kept thinking, he has stolen all of this from Jesus. As I read through, I'm just reading, this is like the New Testament, this is the kingdom of God, I see it over and over again. And in this book, he just lays out if you're gonna have an infinite mindset, if you're gonna play the infinite game with your life for something bigger than your life, something that goes beyond your life, then there are these five essential practices. And the first one that he outlines is this advancing a just cause. Advancing a just cause. And I found just even the, the terminology was interesting. It's not about advancing a profitable cause. It's not about advancing a uh, cutting edge cause. Not even advancing a worthwhile cause, but he uses the word just cause. And my mind immediately went to Micah chapter six, verse eight, where it says, he's shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And I just thought this was interesting. He says, now when you understand what your just cause is, it becomes the guiding directional uh, you know, force in your life. Your just cause is the thing that motivates and inspires you to give, to sacrifice, even if it means your own life. And your just cause will live beyond your days here on this earth. I thought, this is, this is amazing as I was reading it. And then when he talks about a just cause, of how do you know if something truly is a just cause? He says there, there are really five criteria or five standards that will, will show you if what it is you're going after is truly a just cause. And this is what I would like for us to do today. I want to use Simon Sinek's terminology, his five criteria as a framework because he stole it from Jesus in the first place. And I'm giving Simon credit for it even though he didn't give Jesus credit for it. And I want to use his words and then see how that plays out in the kingdom of God. And here's what um, I think that we can do as we look at this just cause and the five criteria that determine if it's a just cause, we can see this on three different levels. One, we can see it on a philosophical transcendent level. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, this is, this is a big, big global scope, universal scope. But we can also see it on a more organizational level as Cornwall Church. How do we fit into this? And then we can see it on a personal level. How's this playing out in my life? And we can see this and then we'll weave it all the way through uh, these different things. You can do this a little bit on your own. I trust you, you you're a brilliant people. But I wanna look at these, these five criteria and see how does this fit with the just cause of the kingdom of God. He says for just cause, the first criteria is that you're for something. You're for something. Something that you believe in, that, that it's what you stand for, which kind of goes without saying, well, like, duh, that's what a cause is. But he differentiates that it's being for something, not opposed to something. And there's a bit of a difference. There are a lot of causes that are opposed to something. There's a common enemy. There's, there's a nemesis. There's something we're working against, something we're fighting against, something we want to conquer. And you see this in all arenas of life. You see it in politics all the time. We're opposed to this legislation. We're opposed to this candidate. We're opposed to this party. And it's an opposition. I mean, think about this. Last night, many of you are cheering for a team that you don't care about. 
You really have never even been to Tennessee, but it's because we were opposed to the devil. <laughs> and evil was vanquished yet again. It's this opposition. And, and there's all, there's this, to be opposed to something, and, and it gets, you know, people get riled up and get behind causes because we're going to fight this, and it doesn't matter what it is, and, and I'm not trying to be flippant on this. I mean, it can be breast cancer, teenage vaping, plastic straws, it doesn't matter what it is, but we're opposed, and what he points out is that that may be a good cause, but it's not a just cause, because when it's all about opposition, you're motivated by fear and anger. But when you're for something, you're motivated with this picture of hope. You're inspired with optimism that things can be better and things can be different. And I was reading and I was thinking about Jesus in the kingdom of God and thinking how he was always for something, for someone. Jesus never ever says, we got to rail against that evil empire, Rome. We got to take down that narcissistic leader named Caesar. He, he never, I mean, in Rome, the Roman Empire was immoral. It was unjust. It was evil. It was wicked. It was horrible. Caesar was self-centered and uh, it was just horrible. But Jesus doesn't rail against Rome. He says, let's talk about what we're for, the kingdom of God. And even the Pharisees, while he does acknowledge the danger and, and the, the destruction that, that the legalistic religion kept, that was not his main focus. His main focus was that, listen, hey, God so loved the world. He's for you. He's for you to be a part of this thing. And he comes along and he invokes the imagination of his leaders, of his followers. And, and he says, listen, you can, you can be a part of this. He invites them in and he inspires them. And he doesn't say to them, you, this is how I'm going to inspire you. You are going to be the spotters and the condemners of darkness. No, no, no. He says, you are going to be the light of the world. Not fear and anger, hope and optimism, that it can be different. And he goes on as he says, you are the light of the world. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is what he's for. Jesus was for people. He was for the kingdom. He was for this world. And he calls his followers to be for as well. It's an interesting thing. That more often than not, what the church is known for is what we're against, as opposed to what we're for. I mean, Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And isn't that the message Jesus came with? And isn't that the message we should lead with? God is for you. He's for this world. He wants you to know how good this can be. All right, let's keep moving on. The second criteria that Cynic says is important for it to be a just cause is not just that you're for something, but that there is this inclusivity, that it's inclusive. That the whole concept of if it's a just cause, that whoever wants to contribute to something bigger than themselves, something that's gonna go beyond themselves, they're welcome to be a part of it. And isn't that the whole message that we talked about on Christmas Eve for the misfits? that this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Listen, if you weren't here last weekend, I wanna highly recommend and encourage you to go online and watch last weekend's sermon. Pastor Kip talked about these, out of John chapter four and John chapter three, these two individuals that could not have been more opposite and yet were exactly the same and they're both included, they're both invited into the kingdom. 
John chapter three, you have this one that you would expect to be included, Nicodemus. He's a religious man, he's a godly man, he's a church man, he, he knows the word of God, he keeps the rules. Of course he'd be included in the kingdom of God. But then there's this woman in John chapter four, and she's always been excluded. She's a Samaritan. Samaritans, in the Jewish eyes, Samaritans were no good half-breed dogs. And she was a part of that. She was a woman in a male-dominated society, and so she was excluded. Relationally, she had been married and divorced five times. Morally, she's living with a man who's not her husband. She's excluded on every front. And Jesus comes along, and he includes her. He invites her to drink of living water. He invites her to be a part of the kingdom, and it's not just her. He stays there with that community, with that village of Samaritans, these, these no good half-breed dogs. He stays for two days there, and he shares with them. He, he's for them, and he includes them. And then at the end of that whole story, the, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man, Jesus, really is the savior of the Jews. Anyone reading along at all? That's not what it says. Jesus is the savior of the religious people. No, no, Jesus is the savior of the world. And he invites them and he includes them. And he says, I want you to be a part of this kingdom. And you see this all throughout his ministry as he would go and he would include those that are unclean, those that are untouchable, those who are, who are not allowed in the temple. He would include them in. He would include a... a a political radical activist named Simon the Zealot, he would include him and invite him to be a part of his 12. He would include an uneducated fisherman named Simon Peter and have him be part of the, of the kingdom. He would include a woman who was favored of God named Mary. And he would include a woman who had been possessed by seven demons named Mary Magdalene. He just includes and includes and invites and he says, I am for you, I want you to have this, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. You know, in Luke chapter 15, that incredible chapter where we hear the, this, the three parables back to back to back of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. But what's so beautiful is the opening verses of, of Luke chapter 15 where it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That is such a beautiful picture. That here's Jesus and he's surrounded with people who've always been excluded. And they want to be close to him and hear what he has to say. Why? Because he's for them. Why? Because he includes them. And what do the religious people say? Ah. He hangs out with those sinners and he eats with them. And it's meant to be a put down and Jesus wears it as a badge of honor. You better believe I do. I came for them. I include them. And he brings them in. You know, it's an amazing thing that, that later, these very religious leaders who love to exclude people, Jesus makes this statement to them. I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. How well do you think that went over with them? But Jesus said, I include them. 
This is the way Jesus operated. This is the way Cornwall Church needs to operate. That we would include and welcome anyone into the kingdom of God. This is as we, as followers of Christ, should live our lives to include and to bring in. All right, to be a just cause, you have to be for something, be inclusive. The third one is to be service-oriented. And Simon Sinek would say this about a just cause, is that a just cause exists primarily for the benefit of other people. And this is where there's a bit of a difference between what Simon says and what Jesus does. Because Jesus comes along and he says the kingdom of God and his life and the church doesn't primarily exist for the benefit of others. It exists exclusively for the benefit of others, of serving others. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you want to know about greatness? You want to know how to be at the top? You want to know how to be number one? It's take on the role of a servant. He says, let me just tell you about my life. And Jesus said this, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To serve others, to be for the benefit of others, to help others, to focus on others. William Temple, who was at one time the, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is given um, the credit for making this statement. The church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. I don't know about you, but many of us grew up in churches that really existed for our own benefits. Us four and no more. We're the chosen ones. But what you see from Jesus on and before Jesus, even with God's people, even with Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Is that the church doesn't exist for our own benefit. We exist to serve and benefit the world because we're for something and we include others and we're there to serve. Listen, I, I wanna say something for a few minutes and I don't want you to, to take this wrong. This is not in a way of saying, look at us and be proud and pat ourselves on the back, not at all. What I wanna do is illustrate that this is an area that I'm excited because we are growing in our identity as servants. We're growing in our calling to bless others, to exist for others. One of the things that I love about how we have grown over the years and our DNA has, has taken on this whole concept of the go and be. You know, in Skagit, uh, what you guys do with the young lives is absolutely amazing. You know, here in Bellingham, uh, the school serves that we've done, that just to go out and bless our community. Some of the things more recently, with the toy, uh, Cornwall at the mall and in Skagit, the, the Cornwall Toy Hall, and just to do this to bless families that we'll never meet. To just be a blessing, to serve. You know, every year at, at Christmas Eve, we do the big, the big gift of grub food drive and uh, Pastor Mike, our go and be pastor, he said over the years that we've started this and done this, over the, I think it's 10 or 12 years that we've done the gift of grub, we have given 155,000 pounds of food to our local food banks just to, to help out our communities, to help out those who are in need, and not to do it under the, the title of, you know, this is a Christian food bank. We go along with the community food banks that are already doing it. We want to come along and collaborate and help them in what they're doing. This is what the church is called to do. Some of you know that on Easter, it's become a tradition around here 
to take up an offering and to give every penny of it away. Then we do this without, without shame. Every Easter we say, hey, if you're visiting with us, we want your money today. Just, just give as much as you can. Because we don't keep any of it for ourselves. We give it away to organizations and to help out with things. I mean, we have dug wells in Honduras and built you know, orphanages in Haiti and helped out with Rebound and Skookum Kids and, and Friendship House. And we've done all kinds of things just to help others. And over the years that we've been doing this on our Easter offerings, uh, again, asking uh, Pastor Mike about this, on just our Easter offerings alone, We've given over a million dollars away. And that's not including our missions budget. That's not the stuff that's budgeted. That's just on the Easter offering. And this is what we're doing and growing as a church. But we also need to think about this as individuals. And I'm, I, I've told you these stories until you're sick of them. But the stories I've been hearing about what you've done with the $10 and how you added to that and how you listen to the Holy Spirit and how that just exponentially has exploded and the kind of impact that that has had. That's what we're called. This is how we're called to live as a church, as the kingdom, as followers of Jesus. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then it goes on to say, because that's the attitude that Christ had. And a just cause like the kingdom of God is one that is all about serving others. All right, the fourth thing he says, the fourth thing, the fourth criteria for a just cause is that it would be resilient. Of course, if this is something that's gonna live beyond you, it's gotta be able to have lasting endurance. It's gotta be able to endure and withstand political, technological, cultural change and crisis. I mean, for instance, if we were all about eight-track tapes, We'd be out of business. It's got to be something that transcends any kind of change or any kind of crisis. And I began to think about the kingdom of God. Because we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while heaven and earth may pass away, the word of God will remain. And what has ever been more resilient than the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ? I mean, there have been kings and rulers and dictators and leaders and governments and demonic forces that have come against the kingdom of God, and yet it stands. The kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ has faced resistance and opposition and persecution and banned and outlawed, and yet it remains. And in fact, when the persecution and the opposition is the strongest, sometimes the church flourishes and thrives greater than it ever has. Read about the church, the underground church in communist China where it's illegal. It's just alive and flourishing. And that's from the outside. And from the inside, the church has endured with corrupt leaders, heretical teaching, sins, division, and splits, holy wars that are anything but holy. And yet it continues on. And throughout all generations, throughout all centuries, throughout all cultures and countries, the bride of Christ remains. And who could ever forget, when you talk about resiliency, when Jesus said to his disciples, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen, sometimes there's a lot of sky is falling mentality about the church in America. And yes, there's some stuff we need to be aware of. But the church of Jesus Christ is not in danger of being extinct in this world. 
It has always remained. There will always be a remnant. And God is at work and his word is the same and Christ has not changed and the Holy Spirit is still powerful. And we get to be a part of that, that resilient church. You know, there's a song that we sing around here and it's so great because our worship team here in Bellingham and our worship team in Skagit both sang this as a part of our Christmas Eve service. It's called The King of Kings is the song. And I love it because it just tells the story of Jesus. And I want to read you from about two-thirds of the way through this song, these words. And, and there was a time, I don't know, maybe uh, probably a month and a half ago, we were singing this. And this, I don't know what it is, fourth or fifth verse. As we began to sing this, there was something inside of me that just welled up with tears that like, God, you're doing this. About two-thirds of the way through the song, it says, In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath. Till that stone was moved for good, for the lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who had come to the Father are restored. And then this one. And the church of Christ was born. Then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. I wish we were an amening church. Man, what are we, Baptist? Lutherans? Love them all. That the church was born and Christ filled it with his spirit and gave us this call. The kingdom of God is here, it's now. And we get to be a part of it. Now, the fifth criteria that Cynic puts out there about this just cause, and he uses this word, is that a just cause is idealistic. It's idealistic. And what he means by that, how he defines that, is that this just cause would be big, and it would be bold, and it would be utterly unachievable. That no matter how many advances we take, we always see there's farther to go. No matter how much we, we, we gain ground, that we see that there's more to go. And I thought, that sounds like the kingdom of God. What could be a bigger statement? What could be a more bold statement? What could be a, 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 a command that is utterly unachievable in our lifetime than this when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's big. That's bold. Go and make disciples. Not just get decisions. Disciples. Followers after Christ. People who are submitted and surrendered and, and following. Yielded to Jesus. That's what we long for you to be. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. He says, but it doesn't stop there. Of all nations. Is that not big? Is that not bold? And don't just do that. But teach them to obey everything. To obey everything I've, let me just ask you this. How many of you are obeying everything Jesus has commanded? A hush goes across the room. Because if you say, I do, then you're lying and you're not. <laughs> Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already been made perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. We're all in this journey, all in this process, and it's not gonna happen in 2020, but we can make advances 
That's why Jesus says at the end, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age because this will be our marching orders till the day he comes. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is the kingdom of God. When I read these criteria, I thought the kingdom of God is not a just cause. It is the just cause. Because there's a sixth one as well, and that it's eternal. That what we do for Christ and for his church and for his kingdom will not just live beyond our days on this earth. They will live beyond all days on this earth into all of eternity. And Jesus says, this is a just cause. This is a just cause worth giving your life to. And over the years, our brothers and sisters have sacrificed even their very lives for this cause, for this kingdom. And we here at Cornwall Church have been invited to follow Christ in this. You know, our, our statement around here is, is that we glorify God by altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus. One life at a time. Because every single life is the life that God is for. Every single life is the life that Jesus wants to include. Every single life is the life that we are called to serve and to bless. Every single life is the life that can be resilient for all of eternity. Every single life is a life that was created in the image of God, purchased with the blood of Christ, and invited to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, as we enter 2020, chances are you have goals and resolutions, and that's great. You might have financial goals and resolutions, fantastic. You might have some physical goals and resolutions, wonderful. You might have some vocational ones, some accomplishments and achievements, all that's good. Relational goals, it's all good. But honestly, most of it's finite. I'm not saying it's bad. How much energy and emphasis are you putting into an infinite mindset? Into a just cause called the kingdom of God? Because if Jesus was preaching to us today, he might not just say, hey, Cornwall Church. He might say to each one of us individually, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Change the way you think, change the way you act, change the way you live, and believe this. It's good news. And Jesus prayed and he teaches us to pray this big, bold prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not to just pray those words, but to live those words as a kingdom bringer for something that is bigger than you and will go beyond you and your life to the glory of God. I started off saying, I reflect back to January of, of 93. The reality is my time here at Cornwall goes back another five and a half years before that. And I absolutely love, love being a part of this church. More than half of my life, more than half of my old, old life, <laughs> been able to be a part of Cornwall Church. I love what God has called us to. I love who we're becoming I love the friendships. I love the ups and downs that we've gone through. I love all of that. But hear me out. What we're talking about here, it's not about Cornwall, but the kingdom of God. We're talking about something that's bigger than Cornwall. 
And this is something that I long for us to be a part of, this kingdom impact. And hear me out now on this one. Is this something that I long for you to be a part of personally? And so I've said this before. We know that Cornwall is not the church for everybody. If this is not the church for you, we're not gonna fight you about staying here. We want you to thrive and flourish in your spiritual journey and in the kingdom of God. Then find a church that teaches the word of God and lifts up the name of Jesus and is a part of this kingdom and get involved and serve and be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. But for, and listen to me closely, I'm not saying this in a, in a derogatory way, for Christ's sake, be a part of the infinite kingdom of Jesus Christ.